This is the Build Wealth Canada podcast, episode number 32. Welcome to the Build Wealth Canada podcast, where it's all about becoming debt-free, accelerating your wealth, and taking control of your money. Now, here's your host, Cornell Schreiber. Hey, it's Cornell, and welcome back to the Build Wealth Canada show. I'm excited to be back on the air after a bit of a break, so thank you for your patience. And to be totally honest with you, the reason for the break is that I actually got really, really sick and burnt out on top of that as well. So over the winter break, we were trying to sell our house privately, which is a ton of work. And I can actually share my experience doing that with you if you want, if you're interested. Uh, Plus, we were moving into a new house. Plus, there was a day job and doing consulting work on the side. Plus, of course, there was Build With Canada and also trying to be a good husband and father at the same time. So apparently, that kind of a workload is not sustainable. (laughs) And so I ended up getting incredibly sick for several months. It was really, really bad. It's never really happened before like that. It was pretty intense. And I was totally burnt out on top of that. Uh, and ha- basically ended up having to take a few things off the plate, which I did. And you know, and now things are a lot better and I can get back to doing the podcast again. So hopefully I had a chance to catch up on some of the past episodes while I was away. I always try really hard to make the information as timeless as possible so that even if this is the first episode that you've ever listened to, you're able to go back to past episodes and learn a ton as the information doesn't go obsolete. So, you know, there's really no hot stock tips here if that's what you're looking for. Instead, it's all about, you know, increasing financial literacy in Canada and learning best practices that we can all use when it comes to investing, financial planning, and managing our money. All right, so in this episode, we're going to continue covering the subject of how much do you need to retire, specifically here in Canada. So this is from a live webinar that I did with Canadian Money Saver Magazine. So in case you weren't able to make it, I wanted to basically provide you with as many tips as possible from that presentation in audio form. Now, before we get into that, I want to send a big thank you to our two sponsors that help keep the show on the air, and those are Canadian Money Saver Magazine and 5i Research. So, in case you're new to the show, 5i Research is Canada's only conflict-free research network. And so what that means is that, as you know, there is a ton of conflict of interest in Canada when it comes to people telling you what to invest in. So let's say you go to your bank and you ask to speak to a financial advisor because you want to invest some money. Well, what many of them will do is try to sell you their investment products, like their mutual funds, for example. So you'll basically get a well-rehearsed sales pitch when you go there, but what they don't tell you is how ridiculously high their fees are compared to just investing the money yourself using ETFs or stocks. So there's also a conflict of interest because because they are incentivized either through bonuses or maybe getting a promotion at work to sell you products that make the company the most money, but may not necessarily be the best fit for you and what makes you the most money. So here's the thing. Why would you ask someone what you should invest in when that person has a financial incentive to sell you what makes them the most money as opposed to what makes you the most money so that you can, for example, retire early because you're not paying ridiculous fees on underperforming investments? So where 5i Research comes in is that they actually have a team of analysts that do the research and all the financial math and analysis for you on the best investments to own, whether it's the top stocks or the top ETFs in Canada, and whether you're a growth-focused investor or a dividend-focused investor. And what makes them stand out is that they don't try to sell you any investment. So they're not getting some commission or fee on the back end. And the result is you're getting unbiased investment analysis and insights where you never have to worry that they are recommending something just because they are getting some sort of extra compensation on the back end. 
What's also neat is that you can ask them questions. Like if you're considering, let's say, a particular stock or a particular ETF, or maybe you have no clue what you should buy. And in that case, they can recommend some model portfolios for you, depending on your risk tolerance, your objectives, and whether you want to invest in ETF stocks or both. They actually already have over 54,000 answered questions in their database. So you can actually see what others are asking too about the stock or ETF that you're considering buying. And you can see the answers to those questions too. Now, as a listener of the Build Wealth Canada show, you can actually get full access to everything for free for an entire month. So you basically get full access to all the stock and ETF recommendations, all the model portfolios, as well as their database of over 54,000 answered investing questions. And I definitely encourage you to check it out as at the very least, you're going to learn a ton and it's all free anyway. And if for some strange reason that's not enough, I've also arranged for Build Wealth Canada listeners to get two extra bonuses. So the first is that when you sign up for the free trial, you'll also get a one-year paid subscription to Canadian Money Saver magazine absolutely free. Now, this is the exact same magazine that you see at Chapters and other stores all over Canada, and you get the entire subscription for free for an entire year, no strings attached, just for signing up for the 5i free trial. And the second bonus is that you'll also get one question credit for free on the 5i research site. So you can actually ask 5i's team of analysts your most pressing investment question and they'll answer it for you using the knowledge and investment tools that you and I simply don't have access to. So enjoy. It's all free. You'll learn an absolute ton and you can get it all by going to buildwealthcanada.ca slash trial. That's buildwealthcanada.ca slash trial. All right, now let's get into the show. All right, so what we're going to do is jump right into it. Now, before you listen to this, what I recommend is actually listening to the very first episode uh, kind of of the series. So if you basically go to iTunes, the episode before this one will be part one of this presentation. So I definitely recommend you check that out first if you haven't already, uh, because here we're kind of basically continuing off. Uh, you know, for kind of where we left off. And uh, we're, so we're kind of jumping now a little bit into a bit more advanced things right off the bat. And if you know, for some reason, you're not an iTunes user, what you can do is you can just go to buildwealthcanada.ca slash 31. So just number 31. And that's basically there's kind of the show notes for the first part of the episodes. So you can go there, you can download the episode if you'd like, um, and kind of see it from there. So definitely, I recommend you check that out first. Um, all right, so now let's get started. Let's continue the presentation. So when you're sitting down with your financial planner, you know, one of the things you want to consider is having your investments in your RRSP and your TFSA. Make sure that, you know, they should know the kind of pros and cons of each and how to strategically allocate your investments, you know, between these two accounts. Uh, and so, you know, this is kind of an important point worth mentioning because I noticed, you know, if you go and you, and you check out blogs on RRSPs or TFSAs or, you know, you, you see it on the news, maybe what you'll notice is that a lot of times the big question is, you know, should I I put money in my RRSP or my TFSA. It's kind of like a, you know, one or the other deal. Uh, you know, we, very, very rarely, or I don't even know if I've, I've ever heard someone say, hey, put money in your RRSP and your TFSA. That That's to not be mentioned a lot, right? So, you know, what you actually want to do though is, is you do want you to put your investments in your RSP and your TFSA. And the reason for that is it can actually help you a lot from a tax minimization perspective. 
So the big concept to grasp here is that the lowest tax bracket in Canada at the federal level is at the time of this recording, basically $45,000. And to be exact, it's, it's $45,282, you know, the last time I checked. So $45,000 is kind of that, that cutoff when it comes to your income. So if you make $45,000 or less, you're in the lowest tax bracket. If you make anything above that, you're, you're in a higher tax bracket. And so what I personally like to do, and my wife and I actually do this, is we invest in such a way to basically be in the lowest tax bracket. So, you know, the way you can do that, for instance, is with your RRSP. So when you invest money in your RRSP, that lowers your taxable income for that particular year, right? So let's use a kind of an example. So let's say you make $50,000 a year. Uh, okay, so when you do that, the forty, the first 45,000 is taxed at that lowest tax bracket, but the next 5,000, you know, after that, that's now taxed at the next bracket. And so if it, what you did is you basically took that 5,000 and you invested that into your RRSP, then now you're basically, you know, you basically just lowered your income to, you know, $45,000. And so that's something that, you know, that's kind of, you know, what my wife and I do to basically be, you know, kind of in that lowest tax bracket. And, you know, there's a very good chance that you can do this as well. So unless you've been pumping money into your RSP for a very, very long time, you know, most most of us have a lot of room left over in our RRSP, a lot of contribution room left over. So you can, be, so you know, what we do is we just keep pumping money into the RRSP until both kind of my wife and I can be at that 45,000 tax bracket. So we kind of, you know, we've built up all this contribution room in the past because when we were paying off our mortgage, we, we weren't putting money to the RRSP, we were putting it all towards the mortgage. And so our contribution room, it, it builds year to year. So you don't lose it, you know, if, if you don't use all of it in, in one year, you don't lose it the next year, it, it keeps carrying forward. And so if, if you know, you haven't been maxing it out every year, you know, you're probably going to have a lot of RSP contribution room left over. And so this is a strategy that's pretty relevant to you. And so, you know, what we personally do is we keep putting money into the RSP until we're both at that $45,000 level, until we're in that $45,000 kind of dollar, you know, that lowest tax bracket. And then once we hit that, we stop putting money into our RSP for that year. And we then take the extra money that we want to invest. And we now put that into our TFSA because with the TFSA, it doesn't impact your, your tax bracket. And so this way, you know, you're kind of using the RSP and the TFSA to pay kind of the least amount of tax possible. And you still have money kind of in both accounts. And that gives you a lot of flexibility as well when you get older and you're retired and you actually want to start withdrawing that money. So that's what we're going to talk about next. Now, to really kind of understand this, you do have to know how an RRSP works and how a TFSA works. So, you know, in this episode, I'm kind of assuming that you already understand the mechanics of the two, the differences between the two. Um, if if you don't, if it's something you would like some more clarity on, uh, let me know. Uh, I don't know. Send me a, you know, tweet it out or put a, put a comment in the, in the episode show notes. You know, whatever you'd like, just reach out to me. Let me know. Uh, and then if you want, you know, I can kind of cover sort of those mechanics in a bit more detail or in a lot more detail if you want, uh, sort of in a future episode. And now, you know, so I mentioned it, the RSP contribution room. So if you're not really sure how much you have, you know, if you're not sure what that is to see if you can actually employ the strategy, there's basically two kind of ways that you can find out pretty easily. So the way I usually figured out is I just log log into the CRA website. So the Canada Revenue Agency, you know, you go to their website, you log in and in there, you can see 
what your contrib- well, how much contribution room you have left in your RRSP. So that's kind of the way I like to do it. Um, if you know you don't remember your login or your password or whatever, and you want to f- figure it out without kind of jumping through all those hoops to get your password again, you can basically uh, get your notice, pull out your notice of assessment from last year. You know when you did your taxes, the government sent you the letter. In there, they will actually tell you how much RRSP room uh, you have. So that's kind of those are two easy ways of figuring out how much RRSP room you have, and you should really know this anyway if you're doing any investment RRSPs because you definitely don't want to over contribute. You never want to over contribute to your RRSP, you know, or to your TFSA. The government gets cranky. <laughs> you get, you know, there's a, you, you get, you get penalized for, for doing things like that. So uh, that's something you should be managing, uh, you know, quite a bit. I actually have a kind of a spreadsheet uh, that I've even included with the course where it, it helps kind of students of the course. And it's one I use myself to basically track all our RRSP contributions and TFSA contributions. And so, you know, you should always know how much room you have so that you don't get penalized and so that you're doing things in an intelligent kind of way. All right, so that's kind of how you know we I personally use RSPs and TFSAs together to basically save money on taxes to do sort of things in an intelligent way when it comes to investments. Now, another big, big, big advantage of having money in your RSP and your TFSA is you know when you actually retire. So let you know we talked about this forty five thousand sort of dollars, right? That that's kind of the cutoff. So let's say that you had all of your investments just in RRSPs. Let's say you, you you're you know you read some blog post that. RRSPs are great and you feel they're better than TFSA for whatever reason, you know, in all cases, maybe, you know, <laughs> and so you go, okay, I'm just going to do RSP because they're way better than TFSA, uh, which is, which is not true. I mean, it, you know, they're both different vehicles that you use strategically kind of depending on, you know, your strategy and your circumstance. So yeah, let's say you had all of your money in your RRSP. So the reason that's a problem is because when you retire, so let's say you hit age 71, now you have to convert your all your RRSP savings, you have to convert them into a RIF. So now you, you basically, you're, you're forced by the government to start taking money out of your RRSP, okay? And remember that 45,000 cutoff, right, for the lowest tax bracket. So let's say, you know, the government forces you to take out a certain percentage. Uh, so for example, right now, you know, time of this recording, you're gonna have to take out 5.28%, let's say, when you hit when you hit the age of 71. So, you know, so you take that out. And now let's say, okay, you're forced to take that out. You've got this money out of your RRSP. You know, you're, you're getting taxed on it, but you actually need need more than that. Um, you know, you need, let's say you need a lot more than that to, you know, to live in your retirement. So what do you do? Well, you, you have no choice. You put all your money in an RRSP. And so you've got to take whatever additional money you need. You take that out of your RRSP as well. And every time you take money out of your RRSP, that contributes to your income. And so if all your money is in your RRSP, then you're, you're basically much more likely to hit that to get above that $45,000 cutoff, right? Because, you know, you're, if, if basically you need more than $45,000 or more in your retirement, you're going to hit that bracket. Uh, and so instead, kind of what a what a more, I would say a smarter thing to do, a good strategy to do instead is, okay, let's say you take out money out of your RRSP, let's say, to get you to that $45,000 cutoff. And then if you still need money on top of that, because I don't know, maybe you want to travel the country in an RV or, or, you know, have a big Europe trip or, you know, whatever. If you need more than that $45,000 in that year, you can take the rest out of your TFSA, right? And when you take money out of your TFSA, that doesn't impact your income tax bracket. That's all tax-free, right? And so in this 
kind of with a strategy, you're basically able to remain in the lowest tax bracket and you're not being forced to get taxed at a, you know, at a higher bracket, even though you, you know, you want to spend far beyond what that lowest tax bracket is. So, you know, I hope that makes sense. It's a little, you know, it is a little complicated. You, you do have to understand how RSPs work. You have to understand how TFSAs work to get this. You have to understand how tax brackets work. So it is, it is kind of a, you know, I'll, I'll call it like an intermediate level strategy, right? It's not, it's not like kind of a, you know, you have to ha kind of have a bit of a foundation. So if this is confusing, if you have no clue what I'm talking about, uh, let me know and I'll kind of uh, have some more episodes where we sort of cover these basics. Um, but this is, like I said, this is something that, that I use. It gives you a lot more flexibility in terms of when you're retired, but also right now it kind of, you know, you can use these strategically to be in the lowest tax bracket. So yeah, hopefully that made sense <laughs> and didn't make your eyes glaze over. But you know, the amount of money that you can save on this is very, very significant. So it is worth trying to, you know, maybe re-listen to it and, and try to kind of, you know, understand it. And, uh, and let me know if you don't get it. I'll, I'll be happy to kind of clear it up on the next episode or, um, you know, or on the blog post or whatever the case may be. All right. All right, so now that was the the heavy hitter. That was the big the big lunch. Let's now move on to some some things that are a bit a bit less complicated and that's but still you know very very important. Um, so you know now you know let's talk about some of the things that you know, once again when you're sitting down, let's say with your financial planner, these are the kinds of things that when they're crunching the numbers for you, they're customizing the plan specific to your situation. These are the types of things that. Ideally, they should be bringing up with you anyway, but if they aren't, then these are things you should definitely mention to make sure that they're factored into their, their model, right? Make sure that they're factored into the plan. And if your you know, financial planner just completely ignores these right off the bat without you saying anything, you know, that's kind of a kind of a red flag for me, right? Because if, you know, if you have a good financial planner, they should have a giant list of kind of questions and things to discuss with you to get a really good understanding of the kind of lifestyle you want in retirement and that kind of thing. So if they're totally oblivious to any of this stuff, then that's kind of a flag that maybe there's a, a better financial planner out there for you. All right, so the big kind of question is, will you downsize your home in your retirement? So, you know, are you going to keep living in kind of the, the house you're living in now? Or are you going to downsize? So for example, you know, the kids are realistically going to be be moved out at that point, hopefully, right? And so you know you may not need that giant house anymore. You might not need all those bedrooms, and so that that makes can make a really really big impact uh, on your kind of financial plan. And I've I've crunched the numbers myself because, you know, like I said, I've I've helped find the financial planners sort of crunch the numbers with the software and all that. And and what's really interesting is that you know there, there's definitely been quite a lot of scenarios where they have a client that's just in really bad shape. They just didn't save enough for retirement. They a certain lifestyle they're definitely not going to get it you know they just haven't saved enough and work you know and so what happens then is you think okay well what can we do what levers can we pull to make their to make it so that they actually do have the lifestyle that, that they want in retirement you know what can we do um you know you, you can't just say oh you know just find a million dollars and throw it into <laughs> to, to their investment account right so what can you do well dice downsizing your home can have an enormous impact kind of on your financial situation, you know? So if you live in a home right now, you know, it's, let's say, you know, it's worth a million dollars or something like that, uh, you know, maybe, I don't know, let's say you're living in Toronto, you know, your home is worth, you know, let's say over a million. Well, if you're, you know, you're retired, you could downsize to a smaller home in, let's say, a different city that's not as expensive, right? And so all this money that you've sort of built up in the Toronto real estate market, you can now spend on properties, on a property that is a lot cheaper and that, that money that you now have because you sold the property, you can use that to now fund your retirement. So this is a, a really, really critical lever, you know, that you can pull. And, and I've seen so many cases where, so, you know, like I said, someone's in trouble, they haven't saved enough, 
But because they're willing to downsize their home, you can downsize the home, but also move to a cheaper area, for instance, that can actually make their them reach their goals in terms of the retirement. That, that can basically save them. Is is just is the downsizing alone. You can actually make the numbers work just from that alone sometimes in certain cases. So definitely something really, really worth considering. Uh, you know, especially if you're kind of sweating, you know, because you're retiring in 10 years and you haven't saved enough as you thought you should. This is kind of like really, really important lever that you can pull. The other thing too is make sure that they factor in that your the home that you're living in in retirement is also appreciating, right? I mean, you know, realistically, as you see, you know, the real estate prices do tend to go up. And so you do want to factor that in, right? Because you don't want to just say, oh, well, my home is worth, I don't know, a million dollars right now or $300,000 right now. And then when they put in the numbers in their financial model, you want to make sure that they're factoring in the fact that your house will be appreciating realistically year to year. And if you think that, okay, the house isn't going to appreciate as much, well, you know, still, still put something in there, right? Maybe you won't be appreciating, you know, if you're in one of these hot real estate areas right now, yeah, you know, maybe your house isn't going to be appreciating like it is right now for the next 20 years, you know, fair enough. But it's still probably going to be appreciating a little bit. And so you do want them to factor that into their numbers because that can make a really, really big difference. You know, your house, if it's worth 300000 now, it's not going to be worth 300000 20 years from now. I mean, you know, <laughs> there's a very, 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 very good chance that it's going to be worth more than that. So, you know, that's something you really want them to factor in into the model, okay? And the other interesting thing to factor in too is that in Canada, when you sell your primary residence, it is it is tax free that you know the the money you've gained on it the capital gains you don't get taxed on that so that's something that you want to make sure that you know your kind of your financial planner takes into account I mean and their software should do this automatically as well but you know just remember your primary residence is you know the, the gains you got on that so if you bought it for half a million you know you sold it for a million you know that five hundred thousand that's basically tax free money when you sell the home you know if it was your primary residence during that whole time so you definitely want to factor that in if you have rental properties that's not the case right? You actually do have to pay capital gains on that. So, you know, that kind of makes things a little bit more complicated. And if you do have rental properties, you do want to make sure that you factor that in that, yeah, your primary residence is going to be tax-free, but these other ones, you know, these, these extra ones are not, right? Um, same thing, you know, if you have a cottage, you know, things like that, you, you want to make sure that your financial planner factors in all the properties that you own. The next thing you really want to consider when you're doing your financial plan, when you're sitting down with your financial planner is, are you on track to be debt-free in your retirement. That that's a really that's a really important thing. So, you know, I, I I do quite a bit of research on this. And you know, the most common recommendation that I've seen is that yeah, when you retire, you do really want to be debt-free. That's that's I mean, I mean it it would be it's pretty tough to find someone that will disagree with that. That you know, when you're when you're if you're 20, 10 years from retirement, 20 years of retirement, 30 years from retirement, you do want to make sure that you plan things out in such a way that you are debt-free once you hit retirement. You don't want to have that mortgage payment to pay when you no longer have income from a job coming in consistently. You don't want to be, uh, you, you ideally don't want to be reliant on your uh, the income you get from your investments to pay your mortgage. It's just, it's 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 just it's not a good idea because maybe the markets, let's say, they have a, a slump for let's say I don't know three years, let's say, right? So, okay, you, you live a bit more frugally, you don't take out as much from your investments, you're waiting for the markets to go back up. But if you have a mortgage still staying on your property, well, you, you don't have a choice, you've gotta, you've gotta pay that money, right? So you might be forced to withdraw from your investments, even though you really don't want to yet because you're waiting for the markets to rebound, right? So yeah, definitely in your plan, definitely strongly consider having one of the goals saying, okay, if, I'm, if my goal is to retire at age 60, 
I need to be de- debt free by that. I need to, you know, my the house I'm living in now, no mortgage, no, you know, no consumer debt, no mortgage debt, nothing, 100% debt free. And one thing to, you know, I guess consider and, and also be very, very careful for is taking out equity out of your home. So this is called a HELOC, a home equity line of credit, something that you can do. So, you know, if you're retired, you know, you can take out money, you can take out a home equity line of credit and use that money to, let's say, you know, pay for your for your lifestyle in retirement. You could do that. Now, that can be pretty risky, right? If, if you if you do it wrong, because you're basically taking money out of your house, you're spending it. So the, the bank is basically kind of owning portion of your house, essentially. And, and so, you know, that's, that is a strategy. That's something you could employ, but it's just something you need to be very, very careful about. And so that, that's kind of beyond the scope of this particular episode. But if you are going to go that route, if somebody is kind of pressuring you to take out a home line of credit to fund your retirement, make sure you get a second opinion, make sure you think about this quite you know thoroughly get get some professional help on this is what i'm saying you know don't just go out and do it because you met with your banker and they said it's a good idea uh, and this is this can have a really really big impact because when you're taking out a home equity line of credit you are essentially taking on debt right you are you are taking on that you do have to pay that money you know back but you're you know you, you could be paying out when you sell your house when you die or, or whatever but you know it is you are now playing with debt to fund your retirement which is it is something you can do but it's something if you are going to do has to be done very, very carefully. So just, you know, I just want to put a giant red flag in there or I'll put a star beside it to make sure you don't kind of rush into it, you know, unnecessarily give it, give it the respect, the thought that it deserves because, you know, you are playing with that and that in retirement is kind of a risky area to be in. So you want to make sure if you do, you know, decide to play that game that you do it in an intelligent way. But, you know, it, you know, with that said, though, I mean, it is an interesting strategy because I, I have heard of some people, what, what they do is they will say, okay, let's say, you know, you have a, you're retired and you love, you just absolutely love your home. You, you don't want to move. You're crazy about it. The home has lots of memories. You know, your, your grandkids grew up there, you know, you know, whatever, right? You have sentimental value to a home. You don't want to downsize. You want to stay there indefinitely, but you don't have enough money in your investments to fully fund your retirement. So you need money from somewhere and technically you can pull it out from the home that you want to stay in, right? Because you don't want to downsize. You want to stay there. So, you know, a HELOC can can be used to facilitate that. That is a tool, you know, that can be used. And and some financial planners, you know, might recommend that if you're dead set on not moving out of your existing home, then you need the money basically. But like I said, just just be very, very careful with that. Make sure if you do pull this off, you're doing it with someone that really knows what they're doing, you know, and that you trust. All right, so what other key factors should we consider when we're sitting down with our financial planner doing this plan? What other what other things should we, you know, should we bring up and, and, and discuss and, and factor in into our plan? Well, a really, really big one is when to take CPP and OAS. So Canada Pension Plan and Old Age Security, right? So this is money that you get from the government and there's all types of different sort of tactics about, you know, when to take it to decrease your, you know, just so that you save money on taxes, you know, all there's, there's quite a bit of complexity around it. It's beyond the scope of this particular episode, but just, just keep in mind that this is a very, very key thing. If your financial planner is is good, 
you know, this is one thing that should be top of mind for them is, you know, they should literally be crunching the numbers to say, okay, to save you the most money on taxes as possible, when should we take CPP? When should we take OIS? How can we do it in such a way so that you don't pay tax that you don't have to pay? Um, all right. So just make sure that that's something that once again, just putting a giant, I'm just putting a giant flag beside that. Make sure you bring that up and they should be able to say, okay, you're taking your CPP and OAS out of this and this time. And here's why. And that should make sense to you. And it, it, this shouldn't be something that they're fumbling around with as it can have a really, really, really big impact because, you know, those contribute to your taxable income, which obviously, you know, is linked to how much taxes you pay and all of that. It's, it's kind of linked to the money you take out, how much you should be taking out out of your RSPs when you factor in the CPP. I mean, it gets it gets complicated. It's it's this is kind of what the good financial planners get paid for, right? Is to move kind of move the different things around. Like you know, we're gonna get this much money from our CPP. We're gonna take it this year. We're gonna take this much from O. Get this much from OAS. We're gonna get it this year, or maybe we're gonna delay it by this many years for this reason. And then we're gonna take this much out of RSP, this much out of TFSA. There's all these kind of pieces of the puzzle that are out there, and a good financial planner will take those and they will assemble them in such a way to minimize how much taxes you pay. Okay, so just once again, putting a giant flag beside that one, this is something they definitely, I mean, if, if they just completely ignore this thing, th that's a giant red flag for me. That's just, I mean, that's, yeah, that's just crazy if they, <laughs> if they, if, if you have to bring that up and they don't bring it up, that's a big, <laughs> big, big flag. All right, so that's one thing, the uh, critical, critical thing to consider. The other thing you want to make sure they factor in is will you need to take care of children during your retirement, right? So that's come, you know, maybe, you know, maybe you had kids a lot later. Maybe, I don't, I, I mean, I don't know, maybe, you know, you hear these kind of scenarios where the kids live with their parents for a really, really long time, right? So that's something if, if your kids are going to be living with you longer for whatever reason, you know, make sure you factor that in. Kids do cost some money, so so factor that in, right? What if your kid's still living with you, maybe you won't be able to downsize, right? Because you know, the new home won't have enough room for them, that kind of a thing. So obviously this can have an impact. Also, uh, you know, a kind of a more common one that, that you know, you might have to deal with is what about your elderly parents? So what what about them, right? When you retire, do you think your parents are going, and your spouse's parents, do you think they're going to have enough money to be able to successfully sustain themselves in their retirement? Because, you know, there are cases where you retired, you're good to go, and your mom and dad or your spouse's mom and dad, they've basically run out of money in their retirement. And now you you know feel an obligation because they're family to help pay for their retirement or at least help them meet their kind of bare essentials so that they can have a good enough standard of living, right? So, you know, this is something you, you do want to factor in, especially if your parents are, you know, I don't know, maybe, you know, they went through bankruptcy or maybe they just didn't bother investing for whatever reason, um, you know, just, just, you know, Think about that, right? Have uh, that. That isn't. That's something you definitely want to want to factor in, uh, in case your parents are totally ex thinking they're going to just rely on you in their old age. Uh, you know, that's a conversation you want to have with them. The other thing, kind of on a related subject, is what if one, what if you or one of your parents need to be put in some type of a home, right? Like a, you know, let's say, you know, they have some sort of medical issues and they need to be put in a nursing home, that kind of thing. I mean, you know, those places do cost money, right? So that is something you want to factor in. How is your health? How is your spouse's health? How is your parents' health? How are your spouse's parents? How is your spouse's parents' health, right? These are things you want to consider, right? If there's a giant, if, you know, if let's say you have a history of, I don't know, Alzheimer's in your family, let's say, or a history of stroke or, you know, whatever, you know, there's all types 
of different sort of diseases out there that that are hereditary. I'm not a doctor. I don't know what all those are, but you can figure that out. And and if that you have do have a history of that in your family, you should factor that in because yeah, maybe there is a good chance that you'll have to you know put one of your parents in a home or that you might be in a home because of some sort of disability that's been you know part of your family for generations. So you know definitely want to factor that in into your time because you know some of these health. Uh, some of these um, these homes, I mean, you know, they can get really, really expensive, especially if you require a lot of care. All right, and then the kind of last thing I want to say about you know this particular thing is have a goal of how much you want to contribute each year to your TFSA and your RSP. So when you're sitting down with your planner and you go through all these things and you have this giant plan, you know, at the end of the day, you want to make sure you have that set, concrete, objective goal of okay. In order for us to hit our plan based on all these different things we've considered, this is how much I need to be putting in my RSP and my TFSA, you know, every single year and make sure that you have that because this isn't something you just want to, you know, oh, I'll put money in my TFSA when I have some spare money laying around or whatever. I mean, this is too big of a a deal to be, to just kind of, uh, you know, to just kind of wing it, right? You, you obviously don't want to do that. You don't want to be living kind of in, you know, in poverty or close to it because you kind of took this too lightly and, and didn't plan out sufficiently. So, you know, definitely make sure when, once all is said and done, do you have a specific goal, financial goal for your investments, uh, you know, how much you invest in every, every month to be able to, to get that standard of living that you want in your retirement. All right, so let's, let's move on. So another thing you want to consider in re- uh, is, are you going to be working part-time in your retirement or you know you or your spouse so for example will you want to do some sort of consulting on the side maybe you're going to have your own business or maybe you know there's a business you always want to start are you going to be generating some extra money because obviously that can have a really really big impact on the kind of lifestyle you have and on your financial plan so you know definitely definitely think of that factor that in and if it's something you've never really thought of, you know, like doing consulting or your own business in retirement, definitely think about it because it can really make an enormous impact on your financial plan and, and you know the kind of lifestyle that you have in retirement, right? Because let's say the markets are down. Well, if you have and you don't want to withdraw the money, ideally, because you're waiting for them to go back up. So, you know, let's say that situation kind of happens. Like, let's say, let's use a kind of extreme example, right? Let's say 2008 happens again, right? Big market crash. You don't want to take out stocks because you're waiting for the market to rebound. So, you know, are you, well, if you're, if you need the money, you're kind of forced to do it, right? If you have no other income coming in. But if let's say you have some consulting on the side or you have your own business on the side, well, then you just, you know, you take the money from that business and you you live off of that while you're making, while, while you're waiting for the markets to rebound, right? So definitely makes a huge, huge difference, can totally change the numbers if you decide to do this. And yeah, there's the financial component too, but it also, you know, having something like your own part-time thing, it can help you with other things too, right? Like it can be fulfilling to you. It will keep your brain fresh. So instead of, you know, watching TV too much or whatever, you know, you're actually thinking you have your own kind of practice or your own business. I mean, it's, it's, it's a, I would argue it's a healthy, uh, it's a healthy thing, right? In retirement to keep your brain fresh, to keep yourself getting challenged. I remember reading an article about this. They, they did some study on CEOs and they what, what they found is that once they were retired, their life expectancy dropped drastically. And so it's kind of, I always found that really kind of an interesting study, right? Because here you've got these, you know, probably these type A personalities that are, you know, they've been really just pushing their whole lives, you know, very ambitious people, right? They got to the CEO level at some big company. And then now, you know, they retire 
and all of a sudden their life just slows down immensely, right? They, they don't they don't have that thing that they they had for so many years, and so you know that I could see how that I mean it could probably even lead to depression, right? And and because you know you don't you don't kind of have that thing, you're not needed in that way anymore, you don't have that fulfillment anymore. So if you haven't considered the part time work in retirement, it may be something you want to do even if you don't need the money, just 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 to you know keep your brain fresh, just to keep learning new things. It might be fun, right? So uh, just just something to consider. Now, the next thing I want to bring up is talking about your risk profile. So when you start investing really early, it's much easier to stay within your risk profile, right? So let's say you say, okay, I'm, you know, I I definitely don't want to do, you know, 80% stocks, 20% bonds. That's way too aggressive for me. That's just not my thing. I I would much rather, let's say, do, you know, 60-40, right? So, you know, let's say you're that kind of a person, right? Well, you know, if you're starting early, it's much easier to get to, to kind of pick the sort of conservative allocation that you want where you have more money towards bonds so that you know you don't when, when the markets take a dip you, you're not hit as hard right so it's much easier to do that the problem is if you're saving if you haven't started saving until a lot later if you haven't started investing until a lot later you may not have that luxury you may you may say well this is the kind of income I want in my retirement I haven't been saving very much though so in order for me to hit that number I know have to get a lot more aggressive in my investments to try to get to that number. And that, you know, that can be a little stressful, right? You're, you're kind of going beyond your comfort zone. You're you're investing in a riskier way than you feel comfortable with. I can definitely see, you know, it might not be very good for having a, a kind of nice, a nice good sleep, right? You might have some sleepless nights when the markets take a dip, that kind of a thing, because you're you're investing beyond your, you're, you're investing outside of your risk profile. So that's kind of one thing just worth considering that if you're kind of on the fence or if you're you're sort of, well, you know, I know I should invest, but it's, I'm busy or, or, you know, like, I don't know, just, I'm sure there's like 30 million excuses that someone could throw in why they're not investing yet. Right. Well, if just consider that, that if, if you're kind of on the fence and it's kind of been on your to-do list, but it hasn't been a big enough priority yet. Well, you know, keep in mind that, you know, the earlier you start, the easier it is to hit those goals. The, the later you start, you know, you may be working part-time in retirement might not be an optional thing. You may be forced to do it because you don't have enough money, right? Or you may be investing in riskier things beyond your control that now creates stress for you because you haven't, you didn't start early enough. So definitely, you know, definitely, you know, that's definitely something to think about. And hopefully that motivates you a bit if you haven't started investing a lot yet. All right. So to summarize, you know, a common question might be, what will have the biggest impact so that I can hit my retirement goals, right? So let's say you maybe started investing a lot later than maybe you should have, you know, and you're kind of trying to play a little catch up, you know, what are, are you worried that you're not going to hit your number? You know, what are you, what's going to have the biggest impact for you? Well, so there's, there's kind of four, four big things, big levers you can pull. So the first big lever is you just work longer. You work longer, you save a big portion of your income. That's going to help you. That's going to have a gigantic impact, obviously on your, you know, retirement, on your financial plan. Okay. Pretty straightforward pretty easy, pretty obvious, okay? Working part-time during retirement, I already mentioned that, so that can have an enormous impact on your financial plan, okay? The third, uh, and I already mentioned this one as well, investing in riskier assets, right? So you're putting more money in equities instead of cash or bonds, right? So that's another big, big lever, that you can pull, okay? And then the last one is simply investing more. So just increasing how much you're saving now so that you can basically, you know, they can compound over the years and you can hit that number much, much easier, okay? So those are kind of the four big, big, big levers, okay? Working longer, working part-time during retirement, investing in, in riskier assets, investing more. So basically increasing your savings rate. So, you know, those are kind of the, you know, if, if you need to focus on, 
if, if you're wondering kind of all have the biggest impact, those those are, are pretty much it. Those are, you know, when you plug that into the financial models, things like that, those are going to have a huge, huge impact on your numbers. Now, I'm not saying, you know, everyone should work longer. I'm not saying everyone should work part-time during retirement. And I'm not saying everyone should invest in risky assets. I'm just saying these are things that are going to have a really, really big impact on the numbers when you actually sit down and do the math. Okay, a couple other factors. One, remember to have a power of attorney and a will. That's just have that on your to-do list, get it taken care of. I'm not, you know, that's, I'm not going to go into detail about that. Just, just get her done. <laughs> and if you're not sure why, I don't know, Google it, or maybe I'll have another episode about it in the future, but just, just, just do it. Have a power of attorney and a will. Okay. Pretty, pretty self-explanatory. No reason why you shouldn't have this. Okay. And number two, remember about tax optimization. It's a key, key component of financial planning. I know taxes aren't exciting. They, it might seem like it, but I don't get excited about taxes. Okay. Just like most people, it's not fun, but it, it's a big, it's complicated, you know, it's not fun, but it's critical. I mean, it makes such a huge, huge impact for your retirement and then the lifestyle you have in retirement. So make sure you have, you know, you don't have to go out there and read the entire tax code to figure this out yourself. Just make sure you, you kind of understand the basics and that you have someone that specializes in this on your team so that they can basically do tax optimization for you and your significant other. Okay. Just make sure you don't forget that. And last but not least, you know, do consider insurance. So, you know, life insurance, disability insurance, you know, and insurance for the estate. So, you know, these are once again kind of beyond the scope of this particular episode, but it is it is a consideration. It is an important part of financial planning. I'm not saying everybody should have X type of insurance or, you know, whatever. I'm, you know, I'm not saying that, but it's different for different people. You know, there's different circumstances. There's different you know, insurance products out there. Some are great. Some are horrible, you know, but just this is kind of just one thing that should be on your to-do list. Consider insurance, life insurance, disability insurance, and insurance for the estate as well, okay? So just something to think about. Talk about someone that is, <laughs> talk, talk to this to somebody that isn't paid to sell you insurance <laughs> just so that you get a nice unbiased, you know, you get unbiased kind of experience someone that is an expert in it but isn't trying to sell you insurance per se um, because that's kind of a very <laughs> easy thing to fall into right is uh okay i need to learn about these so i'll call my insurance company and yeah you should and you should tell them about this but get a second opinion you know from someone like a fee-for-service financial planner that that does a lot with insurance just to make sure you are getting the right insurance for you as opposed to you going with something just because this the insurance salesperson had a really strong sales pitch all right, so let's talk about early retirement, right? What, how does that change the game? How does that, you know, what should we consider if early retirement is something that we'd like to do? All right, so the first thing is if you are taking this route, you do definitely want to get some professional help, basically just due to the complexity and, and to the risk of it, okay? You definitely want a second opinion. Things get more complicated when you do an early retirement, and so you do want someone that kind of knows a lot about your taxation and all the financial planning so they can put a good plan together so that you don't run out of money when you're much older because you decided to retire too early, okay? So just, just remember, you know, this isn't like something you just casually do. The early retirement thing is a significant thing and you really do need, you know, the right help. And I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to sell you anything uh, or some, you know, some financial plan or service or anything like this is totally unbiased. You just, you really want to, you really want to have this. Okay. The other kind of big thing to remember about early retirement is when you do the early retirement, you're not getting the CPP and OAS payout. So the Canada pension plan and the OAS, OAS, old age security, you're not getting those 
right away when you retire, when you're much younger, right? You only get those out of, you know, once you're much older. And so because of that, because you don't get those right away, like let's say you retire in your 40s, let's say, right? You're not going to get them for a while. So the money that you would normally get from them, you, you've got to you've got to offset that with something. You know, when you're retired, yeah, you're going to get it and then things will be great, but you're not getting that CPP OAS yet. So you do need something to offset those amounts. And another big thing that happens when, you know, when you're moving from kind of just because okay when you're when you're younger right when you're saving for retirement you're kind of in growth mode right so you're you're investing in assets that will grow right that's kind of what you're doing now when you are in retirement you, it, it changes right now you're not so much concerned as much concerned about your assets growing you now want instead your bigger focus is you want those assets to spit off to spin off income for you okay because now you actually need you know like for example dividends right you need those dividends because now you want them to use them so that you can go when you can fund your you know your retirement your early retirement so when you do the early retirement thing you know you a big kind of change is that you're not going to have let's say everything in growth anymore you're going to want some more uh, you're gonna want something that is actually gonna give you income, right? So you want some fixed income, or you know, you want something that will give you more dividends. So that's kind of an important thing to to consider, right? Is if you're hitting that, or if you're planning to be have or you know, be, retire early in five years or whatever, or ten years, whatever the case may be, make sure your financial planner kind of explains that to you, right? And how the strategy will change once you actually hit retirement. All right. The other thing that I've heard just by talking to different people who have done the early retirement thing is you generally kind of the most common number I hear is you want two years of savings in cash, okay? So that if the markets do take a tumble, let's say you have two years in cash ready to go. Obviously, I'm not talking physical cash. You're not keeping cash in your mattress or whatever, right? You're just, for example, you're keeping it in a high interest savings account at a bank, for example, right? Somewhere where it's really safe, where you don't have to worry about losing it. So that if the markets do take a tumble, you do have some money that you can withdraw that can sustain you until the markets recover, okay? And, and obviously, that's a really big thing, right? Because the whole thing about early retirement is you need that portfolio to last you as long as possible. And if the markets take a tumble and now you're forced to sell off some of those investments when the markets at a low, well, you know, that's really going to have a negative impact on how sustainable your retirement actually is, right? So, you know, the two years of savings in cash is a common one. You can go out there, you can research, you know, you can, there's all kinds of blogs, you know, from people that, you know, kind of have done it and they have different recommendations different ways they slice it. You know, I've interviewed some of them as well. But, you know, the two years of savings in cash is kind of the one that I've definitely heard the most often. Uh, and then, of course, also, if you do want to retire early, make sure you're debt-free. That's kind of the, you know, that, that's also a common theme. Just like if you're doing a regular retirement at a more traditional age, you want to be debt-free. Being debt-free during early retirement, also a very, very good thing, right? And once again, it comes back to if the markets, let's say, are down, you don't want to be forced to sell off, let's say, you know, equities because when they're at their low, because you desperately need the money to pay off your, you know, your more to pay your your monthly payment for your mortgage, for example, right? So, you know, very very, uh, I would argue it's pretty important to be debt free. It's going to give you a ton of stability. It's going to decrease your stress level immensely because you don't have to worry about. Uh, I mean, I mean, I've been, you know, we've been mortgage free for a while now, and it's just, it, it's 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 nice. Like it, you know, and and if you have, and if you're retired, it's you know, even more so, right? Because you're no longer worried about having to pay that giant sum of money every single month. So highly, highly recommended, <laughs> you know, uh, for peace of mind and, and other things as well. 
you know, and last but not least, if you are doing the early retirement option, definitely consider the part-time work, so, uh, doing the part-time work, okay? So you're retiring, let's say, in your 30s or, or in your 40s, you know, whatever the case may be, or, or 50, you're doing an early retirement. Consider doing the part-time work. Like I said, it'll, it'll give you some fulfillment. It should, right? It should keep your brain fresh. And also, once again, it, it helped, it, you can ride out bad markets because you've got that income coming in, let's say, from the business that you're doing part-time. So, you know, definitely something to consider strongly when you do retire early. I mean, everyone that I've kind of, you know, interviews I've listened to of people who have retired early, um, I don't think I've spoken to anyone or heard anyone where after retiring early, they literally just stopped working entirely. So they just they just sit on the beach all day or surf all day or whatever. Yeah, they may do more of that now, now that they're, they've retired earlier, but they still have some stuff on the side that they enjoy doing, that they're passionate about, and that brings them in some extra income. So, you know, it's it's definitely, you know, it, it makes sense. I think it's healthy, uh, you know, to, to, to work, uh, assuming it's a job that you actually enjoy and you're passionate about, you know, especially if it's your own business, you know, that kind of a thing. So, you know, definitely consider doing part-time work. And it's kind of cool, right? Because once you hit the early retirement thing, now you've got this time to pursue something maybe you couldn't before. You know, maybe, you know, you worked at a big corporate job and that helped you get to early retirement and you could never, like I remember, I remember when I was just out of, uh, right out of university, I was, I really wanted to get into real estate investing. And I remember I was like, okay, this is what I'm going to do kind of as my side thing on top of my regular corporate job. And, but I remember, you know, I was in the GTA, so, you know, the greater Toronto area where the traffic is just ridiculous. And I remember, you know, I'll, I'll come back from work, you're stuck, you know, you're in traffic for quite a while. And by the time you get home, you know, you're, you're exhausted, right? You're just tired. You've been working all day. You've been in traffic. You, your, your creative juices aren't flowing to run some company on the side, like become a real estate investor or, or run some an online business, right? Your, your brain is, <laughs> is pooched at that point. Right. And so you can't, you know, so I remember there, I was like, I, I can't, I can't do this real estate thing on the side because the full-time job just takes up what, you know, it's, it just, it takes up all my bandwidth. But when you do the early retirement thing, now you can actually do that, which is pretty, pretty neat, right? You don't have that commute. You don't have that job taking up all those hours. You can kind of pursue that, that, you know, that passion or, or that, uh, you know, that type of business you always wanted to open, but never had the time to do, for example. So, you know, definitely, definitely work, uh, worth considering, I would say. All right, so that's it for the kind of early retirement considerations. And these are just, you know, these, these things I just mentioned, they're kind of the commonalities that I've noticed when I interviewed those that have done so, and, and when I've read kind of what other experts recommend in other fields. So this is kind of, a, I would say, a summary of sort of the top things I found in terms of top considerations for an early retirement. So hopefully that helps you if that's something that, that sounds appealing to you. All right, so we're almost done. <laughs> it's a lot of information to take, and I, I totally, totally realized that. I was thinking of even breaking it up into another episode, but let's just let's just get it all out there. Um, you can always take a take a break if needed. So, other key factors to consider when you are meeting with your financial planner when you're doing an actual plan. So, one thing that's pretty important is have a best case, the most likely, and worst case scenario. So, having kind of the three, you know, I, I really like that. Right, best case scenario, this is what's going to happen. Most likely, based on historical averages, things like that, this is what's going to happen. And let's have a worst case scenario so that, you know, even if the markets underperform, our rates of returns aren't what we were hoping for, that we're still okay, that we're not eating cat food, right? That's <laughs> that's kind of the, the thing the thing to take away there. All right. And of course, once you have that actual plan, you know, you do want to review it annually with a professional, okay? Because things change, right? So when you do review it with a professional financial planner, they can factor in things like changes to taxes and, and other regulatory changes. So, you know, changes that the government makes to the RSP or TFSA or 
changing to the CBP and, and OAS rules changes, you know, things like that. Government changes things periodically. You you want someone in your corner that keeps track of that, that has, you know, that, that's kind of listening for those changes and knows what kind of impact that's going to have to your financial plan so they can modify it accordingly. So that's kind of another reason why, you know, when you do a financial plan, it's not a one-time thing. You do want it reviewed ideally on an annual basis, uh, you know, so you can factor these changes in and adjust your plan accordingly, Okay. Also, when you're meeting with a professional, let's say once a year, you know, they can update the market returns and the interest rates, right? So maybe a couple years ago, the, you know, you thought you were going to be making this much of a return, but it turns out the, you know, the markets actually haven't performed that well, or maybe they performed better than you thought. And now, you know, that's going to make an impact on your financial plan. So you do want your, you know, your financial planner to factor in the latest numbers, the latest market returns, you know, what your portfolio is worth now versus what you thought it would be worth a year ago. And, you know, how does that impact things? Okay. And another big thing is, you know, you do want to uh, review this with a financial planner annually because you realistically are going to have changes in your own life. So for example, you may have children, which is obviously going to make a big impact, right? On, on your financial situation, your financial plan. You may move, which could have a big financial situation, right? Maybe you're living in kind of a smaller town and all of a sudden you decide to move to Toronto for a job. Well, that's going to have a pretty big impact, right? With the real estate changes, all of that, you know, your income might be different now, that kind of thing. Lots of different implications when you move, right? So, you know, they can factor that in as well into your financial plan. Uh, like I said, you know, new job comes in, that's going to make an impact. Changes in the real estate market, maybe there's a little correction in the real estate market, maybe the real estate market just keeps climbing like crazy, you know, all these things happen, right? So you want them to factor that in, in your financial plan. Also your health, right? Maybe your health takes a turn for the worse, maybe, you know, maybe, you know, you, you get that diagnosed with something you really weren't expecting, that kind of a thing, obviously that can have an impact, or maybe your parents, right? Maybe all is good, but maybe your mom or dad or, or you know, someone or your spouse's mom or dad just got diagnosed with something, you know, like Alzheimer's or whatever, where they're going to need that extra level of care, right? So that can, you know, the, the, your plan should be updated accordingly to reflect that, okay? And then the last but not least, your priorities might change as well. And then they probably will, right? Because as we live and, you know, we experience things, our priorities do change, right? So, you know, right now you might say, oh yeah, I'm going to, you know, I'm, I'm, I want to work until I'm I don't know, 85, and I'm just gonna, you know, you might have that kind of a plan, right? And then let's say you have kids, and you're like, hey, you know what, I, I'm not going to be as career driven anymore. I think I'm going to make less of a salary, less of I'm going to get less raises, I think now because I want to spend more time with my kids, I'm not going to be pushing my career, you know, working 80 hours a week, to try to get a higher salary anymore, like I initially planned, maybe I want to scale things down a bit so I can be more of a family man or family woman, right? So, you know, things change, right? Like whether it's new kids or, or just life experience, right? So those things can have a really, really big impact on your plan, right? Maybe, you know, you're all gun ho about, you know, just traveling in Europe in your retirement, right? And then you took a Europe trip and you thought, yeah, that was great. I want to do it again, but maybe not as much as I thought kind of deal, right? Maybe I still want to live in Canada. So, you know, these things can have a really big impact, right? So, that, and then it's going to happen. Things are going to change. So that is another, that is a reason why when you do this financial plan with a financial planner, you, you know, it's not a one-time shot, right? You meet, you update the numbers, you update them with changes in your life, you see how that impacts the plan and you tweak it accordingly, right? And so that way, you you know, you're, you're it's a way you can make sure that you're always on track, right? So that you're not panicking, 
you know, 10 years from your retirement because, oh shoot, I was supposed to have this much saved, but I don't. And, you know, and, and now you're stressing out and you have all these different concerns all of a sudden, right? So this is one of those things. You just, you do these things once, uh, once a year and you make, sh- and it helps ensure <laughs> that you, you're a bit, uh, have a bit less stress in your life, basically, right? When uh, you don't have these surprises when it actually is time to retire. All right. And, and a few final key takeaways. So obviously one review your plan annually, I already mentioned that. Number two, is your net worth growing? That's that's a really big thing that you do want to check from time to time, especially when you do your annual review. Your net worth doesn't lie, right? So your net worth is basically your total assets minus your liabilities, right? So is it growing? Um, you know, if it's growing, great. If it's not, why why is it not growing, right? Uh, you know, are you taking on more debt than you initially planned? You know, what, what what's happening there, right? The net worth statement is is very very valuable to basically check, you know, so you can have a pulse on your financial situation, right? So make sure your financial planner factors that in. Make sure it's trending in the right direction and it's growing the way it should be. And if it's not, you know, you've got to kind of be like a surgeon and figure out exactly, you know, what is it that's preventing it from growing the way it should, so that you can hit your financial goals. Okay. Third point, it's a lot easier to correct course earlier rather than later, right? So compounding compound interest, you know, we've you probably already know about that. If you're listening to this podcast, um, you know, if you're not, you know, just, just look it up. That's obviously critical uh, when it comes to, you know, financial planning and investing. So a lot, it's a lot easier to correct course when you're younger because, you know, the money you're investing, it does tend to compound right over time. So if you're just starting saving when you're five years away from retirement, that that's an issue, right? You don't have that much time to let your investments compound. It's a problem, right? So if you're on the fence, start the earlier you start, the easier it is to correct course, the less stressful it is the less financial pressures you have you know the more you can live the lifestyle that you want just by getting started early okay so um you know pretty obvious but just just i i really i'm trying to prevent someone from panicking you know when they're 10 years from retirement because they they're only starting to focus on this now you know so just something to keep in mind and second last point stay on the conservative side when planning okay it's better to have too much money than not enough Right, so definitely be on the conservative side. Earlier in the presentation, I can't remember if it was this episode or the, or the previous one, part one, where I talked about, you know, the actually it was the previous one where I talked about what kind of returns you can expect, right? And so when we, whenever I would use the financial planning software to crunch numbers for clients and things like that. I always stay on a very, very conservative side because sure, the, the historical averages might be higher, but we, you know, we would rather have a bunch of money left over that you can leave your kids than having not enough money and be begging your kids for help, right? So that's something that's really, really important as well, okay? And the last point is you don't have to be accurate to the penny either, right? So you want to make sure you're trending in the right direction. You want to make sure everything makes sense, but it doesn't have to be to the penny because realistically, you're going to adjust your lifestyle if you need any. Right. So if let's say you retired and the market's in a slump, you know, maybe some of these companies that you own, you know, they they didn't issue a dividend, you know, because they're just underperforming for a bit, you know, that kind of a thing. Well, you know, realistically, if that happens and you don't have as much income coming in, you're going to adjust your lifestyle a bit. Right. So and by that, I mean, you know, maybe you'll go out to eat a bit less. Maybe you'll travel a bit less that year. You are going to do some adjustments. Right. So it's not like everything has to be exactly to the letter and these numbers never change. They're going to change all the time, but you, you know, it's, it's, it's different if you've got to get an extra thousand dollars, you know, in a year from somewhere, that's a lot different than saying, oh shoot, you know, I have a $12,000 mortgage payment that I have to deal with and I don't have the money to, to, you know, to do that now. Right. You know, that's something to, to keep in mind as well. And keep in mind too that, you know, the further away you are from your retirement, the less accurate your projections will be. Right. 
but you still want to make sure that you are on track after life throws things in your way. So for example, if you get laid off or if you have children or if you're buying a house, you still want to make sure, you know, that you're factoring all of these things in. And that's why I would strongly argue that you still need a financial plan just to make sure that you're trending in the right direction, that you're making progress towards basically living the kind of retirement that you want or that you're on track to retire early, for example. Okay. All right, I hope you enjoyed the episode. Please leave a review on iTunes if you haven't already as it really helps other Canadians discover the podcast and in turn helps improve financial literacy in Canada, which is my goal with this podcast as well. Now, last but not least, if you're looking to have an investment question answered or just want to learn a ton for free directly from the pros, then be sure to sign up for the free trial to 5 Research at buildwealthcanada.ca slash trial. So like I mentioned in the beginning, we've actually arranged a special bonus for Build Wealth Canada listeners where you can actually ask their analysts an investment question and they'll answer it based on all the research, analysis, and tools that they have at their disposal. Basically things that you and I simply don't have access to. Now, normally this Q&A is reserved only for paying 5i members, but as a Build With Canada listener, you can ask them your most pressing question for free. And if you want to ask them more, you can always sign up to be a paying 5i member, but there's no pressure. And at the very least, you'll get that big investment question that's been on your mind answered. And as I mentioned before, as part of the free trial, you'll also be able to view the answers to over 54,000 investing questions, as well as see their top recommended dividend and growth stocks in Canada, their top ETFs, along with different model portfolios, depending on your investment strategy and risk tolerance. And to make this even more over the top, when you do the free trial, you'll also get an entire year of Canadian Money Saver for free and have access to their entire back catalog of all their past issues too. And this is really the exact same magazine and subscription that you see being sold in chapters and other stores all across Canada. So once again, you can get all of that right now for free by signing up for the 5i free trial at buildwealthcanada.ca slash trial. That's buildwealthcanada.ca slash trial. The sign up will only take you about 30 seconds. So do it now if you can, and I look forward to seeing you in there. All right, that's it. Have a wonderful week and talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Build Wealth Canada podcast at www.buildwealthcanada.ca. 